for me, having children is the one thing I think I just don't take as lightly. It's such responsibility and it changes your life so completely. And, you know, I worry all the time that this makes me selfish, but I love my life. I love my freedom, my ability to be spontaneous. I love my job. And I think the really controversial thing to say, and I know a lot of people won't agree, and in particular women have had children, but I do think it's very difficult to have it all. And I think women are told constantly that they can. You know, you can have the job, the family. But so many women I speak to who have children feel guilty a lot of the time, you know, guilty that they're working too much and not with the kids or guilty that they're with the children and not working enough or And for many women who maybe find themselves in a situation where they're alone in bringing up their children and don't have the means for help, I think they can't necessarily carry on with their life or their job in exactly the way they might have. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's just not for me. It's not what I want. And the second area just comes back to the responsibility. And this is the one for me is that babies are so sweet and toddlers are hilarious, but having children, it turns out it's for life and it's a lifetime of worry and anxiety and I still see the way that my parents worry about me and you know my sibling now and love overrides that you know of course and I understand that but I think I'm just very aware of what I can handle and not handle and I think for me kind of all things considered that stress and responsibility is something I can't handle (laughs) so if I if I was to say kind of in a nutshell I guess that's it it's just that feeling of responsibility and the fact that it's forever. You're listening to Flipping the Barrel Podcast, a women's perspective in oil and gas. We are your hosts, Macy and Jamie. And our mission here is simple, to bring you the untold stories of this industry. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Flipping the Barrel, a podcast where we interview leaders in the energy space to uncover and find out more about their career and life journeys. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing Amy. Amy has worked in the oil and gas industry for almost 15 years. She got her first taste of the industry working with U.S.-based geologists focused on unconventional reservoirs in North America, a role which also sparked her passion for the industry. She joined the Energy Council in 2013 as a portfolio director for Europe in London before adding the Middle East to her portfolio and moving to Dubai. Then she returned to London in 2016, and Amy was part of the management team that acquired the downstream part of the Energy Council business and was then promoted to CEO of both businesses in January 2020. Amy, thank you so much for being here today. We can't wait to hear a little bit more about your journey. You definitely have a very different story. And so we love to have just a flavor of different ways that you can get to where you are today. And so thank you for being here and sharing a little bit more about your journey with us. Thanks so much for having me. Amy, it was such a pleasure when I met you when you were in Houston, and I knew right away that we would definitely need to have you on the podcast. You were so inspiring, and at the big event that you were a part of here in Houston with a bunch of high-level executives, you were humble enough to be the one actually handing out the name tags. So this is the kind of person that we have on the podcast today. She is a leader in this space, but she also is just very understands how to be empathetic and how to work with others, and it just was really inspirational to me to see her being such an advocate for the work that she does. So thank you so much, Amy, for being on. So you grew up in a small rural village in France. Both of your parents were teachers, and they pushed you into pursuing a college degree, even though deep down in your heart, 
you were always curious about being an entrepreneur, like one of your uncles, actually. And so one day you wanted to run your own business. Well, you ended up studying politics because you were curious, like most of us are, on how a country is even ran and like what kind of impact do those have that actually run the country. But once you got into it, you realized that maybe that wasn't something that you really wanted to do. Can you bring us back to your childhood and how it shaped you to who you are today and how you even got into energy from wanting to first inspired into being in politics? Yeah, sure. I mean, I still have question marks as to how the countries are run today. That hasn't changed from seeing it day to day. But I think in terms of your question around kind of my childhood, I think one thing I realized recently growing up is how much of an impact being half French and half English actually has had on me. I think even though they're both Northern European countries, the cultures are really different and fitting into both of them and both families, I think has made me adaptable and given me perhaps kind of a a different take on things. And my French side has certainly made me more direct, I think as well. And same thing with regard living in both, you know, a rural village, like you say, but then also moving to London and having the difference between being in a school with, you know, a handful of people and then something as huge as a city like London. And the um, the French education system is brutal. There are no prizes or kind words. And I think that's given me a lot of the resilience that I have and kind of the work ethic too. But there was never any doubt in my mind growing up that I could be and do whatever I wanted. I think that was really instilled in me from the start. But I just knew that I wanted to be something. Initially, I wanted to be a bin man or a trash man, I guess you guys would say, as I thought that there must be no women because of the job title and I could maybe be the first woman bin man. And then I wanted to be prime minister because I thought I could have the biggest impact and I just wanted to be recognized for something. And I I think I still feel like that now. I want there to be something written on my gravestone that no one else has in a good way. (laughs) I love it. Thank you for sharing. And just shows the aspirations that you had even at a young age to be the first of something or, you know, to break the glass ceiling and be where not a lot of women were. So, you know, after you graduated, you decided to take a job at a prison, which there you go, (laughs) shows up again, just very odd job. Also, not a lot of women, if I had to guess. And the reason you took this job is because it paid pretty well compared to other jobs that you could have gotten. And really, your goal was I'll stay three months, I'm going to save up some money. And you actually decided to stay a little bit longer because you actually enjoyed it. And when we spoke to you, you mentioned, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. And this was something that you learned during that time. Can you share a little bit about that experience? Yes, I'm going to caveat my answer by saying that like, whilst I ended up really loving the job, and I think there are some great lessons, which I'll come to, it was also just crazy that I ever did this job in the first place. And it still makes my family and friends laugh to this day that I was ever in this role or in this situation. For context, it was a high security prison for 700 category A male prisoners. And I was just like a fish out of water for the first couple of months. But you're right. I think there are some good lessons. And like you say, don't judge a book by its cover was definitely one of them. My role was to interview prisoners as they came into custody to determine whether they had any special requirements. It could be anything from being asthmatic or having one leg or being illiterate. And I always used to read the file of the prisoner I was going to interview first before going in. And depending on their crime, I think I would address them differently and judge them. And I think that's human nature. But some of the worst prisoners in terms of crimes were the most polite to me and the most respectful. And so in the end, I stopped reading the file and just went in and conducted the interview based on how they treated me. And I think that's an important lesson in not judging others too quickly. 
My second lesson is kind of showing people who you are. We were never allowed to disclose our name, you know, for obvious reasons. And one day by mistake, I wore a sports hoodie that had my name on it. And I walked into the prison and through the yard and everyone at their windows started shouting my name before I'd even realized what had happened. I almost got fired, but a bad day turned into a real game changer because from that day on, me having a name, I think, just made me human in a really kind of inhumane place. And all the insults and kind of derogatory remarks that were shouted at me just stopped instantly. And any new prisoners that came in were quickly kind of told off by the older ones and, you know, told not to kind of speak to me like that. And I think that just shows how important it is just at a base level to kind of show yourself to others and who you are. And then the third one is like, I just realized how privileged I was. You know, I came from a white middle class family, had been to a private school, you know, to a great college. And it was a real wake up call for me. You know, there were people my age there who couldn't read and write, but they lived in the UK. I couldn't believe that that still existed. People whose entire families were in prison. And I think it sounds obvious now, but it taught me that we don't all start on the same playing field. So I think just that adaptability to such a different situation faced with things that I never came across before, you know, suicide, crime, violence. You know, you mentioned at the start, but I was only one of a handful of women officers at the time. I was definitely the youngest by a huge stretch. I wasn't from the local community. And yet I managed to find some common ground with people. And I think if it's possible to do that in that context, then it's possible in every workplace. And the final lesson is that it's just taught me some of the rudest words in the English language that you could ever hear, which thankfully I've mostly forgotten, but it definitely gave me an insight into a very different world. And now a little word from our sponsor, Technip FMC. Macy, you know what I appreciate about them as a sponsor is their mission is directed towards a more inclusive and diverse workforce. One of the reasons why we started this podcast was to move the industry forward and they back that belief. Their focus is creating a culture of inclusion that will attract, develop, and retain a more diverse, talented group and ensure their employees can always bring their authentic selves to work. Beyond the DNI, they're also big into technologies. They believe in change and innovation in everything they do. Their offerings range from individual products and services to fully integrated solutions with a single interface to ensure a seamless execution. Their core focus is on the energy transition, emerging materials, and digital industrialization. To find out more about their most popular technologies like iProduction, iComplete, eMission, and iEPCI, go to technipfmc.com. And now, back to the show. I had no idea, Amy, that you worked at a prison. I think that says a lot about you. And it also shows even when I started and said, when I met you, you were there handing out name tags. It just, it really is the depth of who you are and how you find yourself, no matter what position you put yourself in. And I think that's very inspiring. And a lot of leaders today, I think are really trying to be more transparent and be more likable. And, but for you, it just comes very natural. And I saw that right away. And Another thing about you that's really interesting throughout your story, you never really had a plan and you kind of can hear it and just like, oh, I want to go work for a prison. And, you know, your parents, and everybody were surprised. You know, there's a lot of people who think by 25, I need to be here by 28 here, like by 30, I need to be a manager or whatever it might be. And you weren't that way. Can you give advice and kind of talk to us about 
how that's worked out for you and also how you overcome kind of that mental doubt when you don't have such a plan because or like milestones. And if you do have milestones, what do those look like for you? I think if you'd asked me this question when I was like 18 or 20, I probably would have given a different answer. But I think as I've got older, I think it happens to everyone. A lot of the plans that you put in place just don't pan out. And that's not good or bad. It's just a fact. And and so I think I went through kind of my later 20s and 30s with just more kind of going with the flow. And I think that opened me up to opportunities that I could never have planned. And I think that's so important because sometimes you lose sight of that. And, you know, working in the prison or living in South Africa or, you know, moving countries, I think would never have happened had I not have, you know, had a more open outlook to that. When I was thinking about this question, you know, I think I'm a huge believer in two things. The first is just being open to the possibilities around you. And the second is that everything happens for a reason and you can't always plan for that. It happens and and good will come out of it. I think a caveat to this when I was thinking about this was that I'm really lucky to be able to think like that because I have so much privilege. You know, I have a strong support network and my family and friends. And I have the comfort, I guess, of knowing that if something does go wrong, I'm not going to be living out on the street. And not everyone has that. But I guess with that caveat, you know, my mantra is kind of what's the worst thing that can possibly happen if I do X, Y, or Z? And often, 99% of the time, I think the answer to that is nothing that bad, you know, nothing that you can't come back from or that you can't solve. I feel like there is so much pressure now, especially for younger people, you know, that pressure to go to college, get the right job, to buy a house, to have kids and beyond that, to make money and navigate through big world issues like COVID or climate change. And then on top of that, there's no escape from it because you're always on with kind of social media. And so I guess my advice would be that having everything figured out, it means different things to different people. And maybe think about what it really means to you and not the people around you. And it's okay to not have it figured out in inverted commas. You know, what's the worst thing that could happen if you didn't buy a car or you weren't a homeowner or you don't get that job? Nothing that bad will probably happen. That's such a great mindset. And I love that you show kind of empathy and also just gratefulness and thankfulness, which is a trait that I think a lot of people want, but we easily forget, but you seem to be just so thankful and you go back to not everyone has this opportunity. You know, I grew up in a certain part of the world or with a good family. And so even those reminders are so crucial to just how we see life. And so thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that you've mentioned that. So on the same topic of figuring life out and just the peer pressure of everyone thinking you have to have it all figured out by 30. 30 is like the new age that you have to have all things figured out. You know, you took this random assignment to South Africa to work at a local HIV clinic. And it was something that you wanted to do because you really wanted to make an impact in a community. And that's what you did. And then after a little over a year, you know, you moved back to London with no plans again. And you found a job in the events world, a world that you may know much about because up till now you were not involved in it and that's kind of how you got to where you are and so can you tell us a little bit about what made you go into you know the events planning world and what has kept you here yeah heading into the events world a complete fluke I thought I might want to be a journalist as I like writing and obviously the interest in politics and then I did an internship a newspaper and everyone was constantly praying for bad news so that they had a story to write and I just thought that's not for me and then I thought I might want to be in publishing but the pay was so bad and I had this desire which I feel like you're not really supposed to say out loud you know perhaps especially as kind of a young woman I wanted to make money and so I fell into the events world and in working on my first event I kind of realized how much it suited me for a couple of reasons the first is 
you are the owner and manager of your event. It's like being kind of an entrepreneur light, I guess. You get to direct everything, own the budget, own the decisions, but you have none of the risk because at the end of the day, it's not your business. So it's like a really nice sense. The second element was every day is different because you're dealing with people and something that is live. So you never know which drama is the hit next. I've had the hotel roof on us during a hurricane in Miami. I've had all the AV equipment stolen from a conference room in London. I even had a speaker have a heart attack on stage. So you just can't plan. I think it made me realize how good I am and how much I enjoy almost like a crisis and that I'm easily bored and like need to be kept on my toes. And then thirdly, you get to travel all over the world, experience food and cultures and languages and and have experience that you would never have at home or probably even if you were on holiday because you tend to kind of throw off into the local culture. And finally, you're always learning. I've done events on chemical supply chains and functional reservoirs and traffic light systems. And it's just never ending learning, which, again, I think just kind of keeps me on my toes. I love how you gave the full perspective of really what it was for you to be in the events world and also how you learned about yourself and the things that really inspired you to keep going and the things that really gave you ambition. Um, Going to where you're at today, the CEO of Energy Council, after 10 years of moving up in the company, the founders chose you to be CEO, which I find just very inspirational. But also knowing your story and knowing your background, did you ever have ambition of becoming the CEO or running the company? I mean, you said in the early age that you wanted to always have an impact. Did you see your impact being a part of Energy Council? And now today in the role that you're in, do you feel like you're fulfilling that? Yeah. I think, as you mentioned before, I always had this idea of wanting to run a company. And some was probably just because I'm really bossy and I like to kind of call the shots. But I think it was back to what I was saying before about wanting to have an impact. I struggle sometimes with the thought that I want my act to be even greater. So I might still, you know, become prime minister. Who knows? I wanted to, and I hope I do have an impact in my own business. And I don't always get it right. And I'm sure, in fact, I get it wrong more than I know. But I think I have been able to have an impact on things like you know, people's progression and career development and supporting the team through difficult situations like COVID or helping the team with things like their mental health. And hopefully also being someone that's kind of younger women can look up to and think, you know, could do that job. And I have the opportunity to do that. I think becoming the CEO of Enincel in particular was a real kind of dream come true for me. I believe so strongly in what we do and the product we have and the network we've created and the role we play in the industry. And I really want to instill my passion into everyone who works with me and, and, and who works with the company. But I think my ambition stays the same to kind of one day launch my own company from scratch and kind of embrace the challenges and the adventures that come with that. Well, Amy, you are inspiring a lot of women. Just having you there be CEO and be part of the percentage that are, you know, Moving the needle is very inspiring. Representation does matter. So trust me, just you running, you know, Energy Council is very inspiring for a lot of us looking. And, you know, on that topic of CEO and very few females in those positions, let's talk a little bit about imposter syndrome. You know, is this something that you've dealt with? I know a lot of women deal with this and it's something that comes up quite often. And so we want to know a little bit about, you know, maybe when you were offered a position did you feel a little bit of that? Maybe was it, you feel like people were judging, like, does she really serve it? Is she really energy? She's a woman. Can you tell us a little bit about that process and how you can kind of get over it? Yeah, I definitely did. And I think the most helpful thing one told me years ago about this was that everyone feels so don't worry. 
Some people might feel it every day. Some people might just feel it in certain situations, but everyone will have felt it. It's totally normal. So I think I've kind of gone back to my mantra and what's the worst thing that could happen if I don't know the answer to something or if I say the wrong thing or I make the wrong decision. And again, kind of 99% of the time, the worst case scenario is not so bad. But beyond that, I think if you're doing the best you can and you've prepped and planned the best you can for a meeting or an event or whatever it might be, then that's all you can do. I think working in what is still a very male-dominated space, I have walked into rooms where I'm the only woman or certainly the only younger woman. I went to a drinks reception once a few years ago in a private members bar in London, and it turned out it was a men's club. And at first, they wouldn't even let me through the door. And I, I couldn't believe that that still existed today. And wow. once I got in, I opened these huge, heavy doors, which banged open really loudly. Kind of Everyone stopped talking and stared at me, and I was the only woman there. And initially, I was so terrified. And I thought, what on earth am I doing here? And I just wanted to kind of hot foot it out. But it turned out actually everyone was really pleased that I was there and kind of differentiating the audience and making the diversity quota a little bit different. The final thing I'll say is that I think often appearances can be really deceiving. I think in my experience, a lot of people that make you maybe feel like you don't belong somewhere are people who are worrying that they don't belong themselves and have their own insecurities. Perhaps they feel threatened by you, what you're bringing. So that's their issue, not yours. And I think if you can take that into account and move on, then that's really helped me. I'm so happy you said that because it's so true. Whenever you feel like they're putting energy towards you or making you feel like you don't belong at the table, it's truly just from their own experience of feeling uncomfortable and that maybe they don't belong and it's just being portrayed towards you. And so having that confidence of I'm here for the right reasons and I know I deserve a seat is super important. So for the last question, first of all, we're so thankful that you're and transparent to talk about this subject. I know it's not easy for a lot of women. And you know, when we were speaking with you and getting to know you, you mentioned that you don't have any children and that you're happy with that decision and you don't mind the society norm pushing you and maybe making you feel a little bit bad. Because trust me, before Jamie and I had children, it was always, when are you having kids? And when we would say, we might not want any, because sometimes I would answer that because I wasn't sure. It was, oh, you have to have kids. You're missing out. You're going to regret it, right? There's so much push from society that women need to be mothers. And that's not the case. Can you tell us a little bit about your decision and kind of deal with people constantly asking you that? Yeah, it's a tough one because, you know, people ask why you're not having children. No one asks you why you had children. So I was happy to ask it because I think, you know, recently something that people really talk about. I guess firstly, I would say like, I'm not against having children. And if I was to change my mind um, or you know think about it in a different way further down the line then you know I'm happy to think that my perception change I don't feel so strongly about it that it wouldn't and I'm so grateful for the children I have as part of my life who are hilarious and bring me so much joy but for me having children is the one thing I think I just don't take as lightly it's such responsibility and it changes your life so completely and you know, I worry all the time that this makes me selfish, but I love my life. I love my freedom, my ability to be spontaneous. I love my job. And I think the really controversial thing to say, and I know a lot of people won't agree, and in particular women have had children, but I do think it's very difficult to have it all. And I think women are told constantly that they can. You know, you can have the job, the family. But so many women I speak to who have children feel guilty a lot of the time, you know, guilty that they're working too much and not with the kids or guilty that they're with the children and not working enough or 
And for many women who maybe find themselves in a situation where they're alone in bringing up their children and don't have the means for help, I think they can't necessarily carry on with their life or their job in exactly the way they might have. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's just not for me. It's not what I want. And the second area just comes back to the responsibility. And this is the for me is that babies are so sweet and toddlers are hilarious, but having children, it turns out it's for life and it's a lifetime of worry and anxiety and I still see the way that my parents worry about me and you know my sibling now and love overrides that you know of course and I understand that but I think I'm just very aware of what I can handle and not handle and I think for me kind of all things considered that stress and responsibility is something I can't handle (laughs) so if I if I was to say kind of in a nutshell, I guess that's it. It's just that feeling of responsibility and the fact that it's forever. You know, one thing that I really like that you said, Amy, is the topic of you can't have it all because at the end of the day, you can't have it all because yes, you can have kids or no, you cannot. But even if you don't have kids, you might still wonder and think what would it have been like if I had kids? So you're never 100%. in a position where you're like, I'm perfectly fine. Everything. I mean, you are days and months and years. I'm sure everybody is. But in life, you can't have both. You have to choose. And so those choices are very difficult for a lot of people to either live always wondering or you live doing it and then wondering why you did it. Because <laughs> of the impact, right? You know, I really like what you mentioned too of that you can't have it all. And I know this is a topic a lot of people will probably be wanting to discuss, you know, and it's, you can a thousand percent have an amazing career and have children and have a family. We've had multiple women, VPs, presidents, CEOs who do it. Right. But at the end of the day, you can't have it all because then you don't have enough time for yourself to take care of for yourself, to be with your husband, to travel as much as you want because you're so focused on your career. And then you have the opposite. Then you have people who have it all in their family, et cetera. And then they always wondered, you know, I wanted to be CEO or I also wanted an ambition and have a great career. And so it's like, can you truly have it all? That is a question that I can't answer, but it seems it's just a big juggling app. But what I do want to leave everyone with is that women are pushed that they have to have it all together all the time. And you have to be the perfect mom and the perfect career woman. And I think it's just, it's a balance. You're going to be great at some things. You're not going to be great at others. And maybe some years you will and some years you won't. So I think that's just such a perfect way to end the podcast. And I love hearing your perspective because there's a lot of women who don't necessarily want children or just don't know yet. And it's so taboo to even say. So I really love that you spoke for all of them. And the fact that you said, I might change my mind and that's up to me and that's my business. I loved as well because no one should be coming back saying, oh, see, we told you. And it's just like, you weren't ready. Or maybe you had other things that you wanted to do. But at the end of the day, you're open to the idea. If it happens, it happens. And if it doesn't, you're super happy with where you are in life. So I love everything that you mentioned. And we can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. So many good golden nuggets, such great advice, such an interesting story from where you came from, the different odd jobs to now running Energy Council. So Amy, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been awesome. Thank you, Amy. And if you liked this podcast, please like, subscribe, follow us. And thank you for sticking around for my voice on this podcast. And uh, I promise her voice will be better on the next one. (laughs) We had to get Amy because we couldn't miss the opportunity to talk to her today. And thank you, Amy.